All right, good morning once again. It's good to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. Uh, and if you're like me, you're excited about continuing in our teaching series called Rock of Ages. For the past four weeks, we've been walking uh, through the pages of Scripture, uh, tr really seeking to gain insight, to catch glimpses of who the Apostle Peter was, uh, who he was, where he is from, kind of the world in which he lived, uh, and what it was like, what happened when Jesus encountered him. Along the way, I think we've been seeing ways that they're uh, seeing parallels, right? I mean, oftentimes when you look into scripture, we find that we're holding up a mirror to ourselves. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And even in these narrative passages about people, characters in the Bible, we can uh, get a fuller picture of who they were and how they were encountered by God or by, by Christ. But along the way, we see, oh, I think that's true for me too. I see myself in that as well. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, I think. Just really kind of bringing to bear with immediacy the work of God in our life, really jumping from the pages of Scripture. So I pray that that's what happens today. This is our uh, week number five in our Rock of Ages series. And I'm not going to tell you the, the uh, well, I guess I will. I'll tell you the title of the sermon. It's Mercurial. Yeah, so that's maybe why you didn't want me to tell you. <laughs> it's Mercurial. So uh, anyway, let's jump in and uh, get started. But um, I want to start off by asking you to imagine or kind of capture in a freeze frame in your head the first image or thought that comes to mind when I say the word mercury. The word is mercury. Okay, think about what is the first thought or identification that comes to mind when I say the word mercury. Perchance you thought first of the planet. Anyone think of the planet? Okay, maybe you thought of the planet in our solar system, which is the closest to the sun with its 88-day year, which all the kids are like, sweet, that means Christmas would be like every 88 days. That'd be great. Well, hold on. It has an 88-day year, but it also has a 1,100-degree temperature swing each day. People kind of lose their minds around here when there's a 40 degree change in the day because that happens, right? 1100, 1100 degree temperature swing each day. Because there is no atmosphere on the planet Mercury, uh, Mercury reaches daytime temperatures of, get this, a balmy 840 degrees Fahrenheit uh, and nighttime temperatures of minus 275 degrees as it's there zipping around the sun. How do you dress for that day? I mean, even Tony would wear a jacket on those nights, right? Um, he's not here, so I wish I could make fun of this, but um, he's the kind of guy that just wears longer shorts when it snows. Um, okay, so some of you thought of the planet Mercury. Uh, how many, instead of the planet, thought of the element Mercury? Okay, I see those hands. Okay, uh, Mercury is also called Quicksilver, right, Quicksilver, uh, kind of a descriptive name. Uh, it is named after the fleet-footed messenger of the Roman gods, Mercury, or Hermes in the Greek, Pantheon. Uh, and it is unique in its property, its history, and its uses. Uh, used for everything, uh, for everything from tonics and elixirs among the Chinese and the Egyptians, which, P.S., bad idea. They thought it would be the, the elixir that led to life, and it actually killed you. So they found like uh, embalmed bodies from the Egyptians and a Chinese emperor died and body was just full of mercury. 
and it's really toxic, but who knew? Um, anyway, so it's been used from everything for, from toxic tonics and elixirs uh, to thermo thermometers, industrial purposes, and even dental work today. Uh, mercury, indeed, has a storied past. Mercury is the only... <laughs> You guys are so excited, I'm telling you about mercury, the element today. Mercury is the only metal that is liquid at room temperature. Did you know that? That's why it's called quicksilver. It's liquid at room temperature. It has the narrowest freezing and boiling temperature range. And get this, it is a poor conductor of heat. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that's exciting. That's, a, that's the fact of the day right there. Mercury is a poor conductor of heat. All right, its high surface tension helps maintain its signature droplet shape uh, as it runs in quick, uh, quickly in rivulets uh, to regain its rounded shape when disturbed. Has anyone ever handled mercury, maybe in a, a lab or a chemistry class? Yeah, it's really fun to watch. Uh, la okay, so maybe you thought of the planet, maybe you thought of the element. There is a third thing that may have come to mind for you. There may be those here today who did not think of Mercury the planet or Mercury the element, but instead thought of the inboard outboard boat motor manufacturer. Did anybody here, first thought that came to mind was, oh, boat motors. Mercury boat motors. Okay, nobody, okay. If that was you, you likely know way more about Mercury boat motors than me, and that is perfectly, perfectly fine. Okay, anyway, as I've studied the Apostle Peter's life and writings, I've come across another use of the word mercury. Uh, Peter is often called mercurial. Mercurial, or like mercury, uh, in several of the commentaries I used to study uh, about his life and writings. What, it, what does it mean for one to be mercurial in temperament and behavior? Well, vocabulary.com says mercurial is someone whose mood or behavior is changeable and unpredictable or someone who is someone who is clever, lively, and quick. Synonyms for mercurial include changeable, fickle, flickery, fluctuating, inconsistent, mutable, skittish, temperamental, unpredictable, variable, and volatile. Now, the more time I spend with the Apostle Peter as a person and as a follower of Jesus, I get a sense of why he is often described as being changeable and unpredictable, fluctuating. Peter, among the disciples, is the most mercurial. Would you agree? He has the most ups and the, the, the highest ups and the lowest downs. I mean, he's up and down all the time. Of the disciples, we gain the most insight into Peter's temperament. His ups, his downs, his outbursts, and his emotionalism, his contradictions, and his collapses. Of all the apostles that we read about in Scripture, I think we get the most information about what Peter was like. Yeah, we know about who he was and where he's from and stuff, but we also get to see a lot more about what he was like. At times, Peter is remarkably steadfast and loyal. At other times, he's fickle, given to emotional outbursts, denying Jesus, and even having the audacity to rebuke Jesus at one point. I mean, who does that? That takes a lot of uh, chutzpah, right? Moxie to turn and like rebuke Jesus. Like, hey, get a hold of yourself, son of God. 
Messiah? You know, I mean, who does that? Peter, he, he chops off ears to defend Jesus. He leaps like Forrest Gump from a boat to swim to Jesus. He curses and swears that he doesn't know Jesus when he's questioned. He's given to doubts and despair. He's given to rash outbursts and bitter weeping. In a way, when we read about, when we read scripture's narrative of Peter, there's a greater human depth there. There's greater human depth that we're allowed to see in Peter as his story and his interactions, they burst from the pages of the Bible with a range of temperatures and colors that we don't see with a lot of other Bible characters. And I like this about Peter. Why? I like this about Peter because in him, I, I see a, a little bit of myself. I see a little bit of myself in Peter. I mean, maybe you've thought about Bible characters. Maybe you've been asked that question like, hey, what Bible character do you like the most? And you say some person and then you're like, um, why? Why do, you see your, why do you like this guy? And it's oftentimes because like, I'm a lot like him. Some of you say like, well, I'm like King, uh, I like David. Oh, why? Well, he had his ups and downs, I said. Well, I feel this way about Peter. I feel like I see a little bit of myself uh, in Peter when I read about his life and times. Although I seem rock steady and unflappable, that's how people describe me, rock steady and unflappable. If you didn't know that, now you do. <laughs> right. Although I may seem rock steady and unflappable, I am pretty mercurial myself. I'm pretty mercurial too in my temperament and my faith at times, a lot like the Apostle Peter. While I'd like to always be even keeled and steadfast, I am often pitched about by the waves of emotion, waves of difficulty. I experience exhilaration and discouragement, high highs and low lows of faith, sometimes in the same day. We talk about the wild temperature swings on Mercury, the planet. Holy cow, if you could just see the temperature swings inside of me some days when it comes to my faith, when it comes to my, my emotions, when it comes to the big feelings I sometimes feel. And I, I don't know if there's anyone else like that. I mean, am I in the wrong room? All right, okay, I'll keep moving then. Uh, but there, here's the thing, guys. In this, I think we can find great encouragement. We know how Peter was. I know how I am. And you know how you are. Yet, get this. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Jesus knew Peter better than anyone. And Jesus chose Peter to be his disciple on purpose. I mean, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he called Peter to follow him. He, could, he, he, he foreknew all these things and he said, oh, it's totally worth it. Come here, Peter, follow me. I've got a job for you. I've got a purpose for your life. Jesus loved Peter enough to call him and to call him out. To call him out and to confront him. Jesus chose Peter to lead the disciples. Remember last week you talked about that? Every list of the names of the disciples has Peter at the top. Even though Peter wasn't the first disciple chosen, he's always listed first. He said, hey, I think you can follow me, and I want you to lead my disciples. And then more than that, upon this rock, I will build my church. He establishes Peter as the leader of the church. Following Peter's absolute low point in his life with Jesus Christ, Jesus comes to Peter and does something remarkable. 
Peter's denied Jesus, shipwrecked his ability to follow after him. And Jesus comes to him, and what does he do? Does he forgive? Yeah. But he goes beyond that. He reinstates. In the lowest point in Peter's life with Jesus, Jesus comes to Peter and restores him. And in doing so, he undoes the damage of all those fears and all those denials. See the directness. See the sweetness of Jesus' love for Peter on the lakeshore as he questions Peter and as he commissions Peter to lead, to lead the disciples and to lead the church. So what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to survey that story. Let's survey the story of Peter's denial all the way up to the point of Peter's reinstatement. So I've got four passages I want to read so you can grab a Bible there in front of you or look it up on your phone. But the first place we're going to travel is John chapter 13. In this scene, we find that Jesus predicts Peter's denial in the upper room. Okay, John 13, 31 through 38. As Judas, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the son, he will soon give glory to the son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come with you now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me? Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So let's jump to John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had gone there with his disciples often. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, and Jesus said, I am he. As he said this, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So here's the story of Jesus being betrayed and Peter lashing out and chopping off Malchus's ear. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, 
And this is after Jesus has been arrested. Okay, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you are one of those with Jesus the Gal Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away and wept bitterly. Okay, one last place. Uh, John 21. John 21. Starting in verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus standing on the beach was, uh, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was, and he called out, Fellows! Have you caught any fish? <laughs> fellows, that's funny. Uh, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, well, throw your nets out. Throw out your nets on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they, they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the Lord Jesus loved. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Verse 15, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked Peter, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. There's an intensity to this passage. There's emotion, yeah, but man, it's intense. Just as an aside here, I think Peter probably felt a push-pull of emotions in this moment. When he recognized Jesus on the shore, you see his immediate response is, 
it's Jesus. And he jumps into the water, leaves his buddies to bring in all the fish. <laughs> he's like, I'm out, you know. It's Jesus. But I imagine as he's swimming to shore, he's like, oh, I don't know if I want this confrontation. This might not go how I hope it would go. Jesus might punch me right between the eyes. <laughs> Our last time we talked, I, I kind of uh, let him down. Uh, so, you know, so he's excited. He wants to see Jesus. But then I think there's also this avoidance like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe there wasn't a lot of eye contact once everyone got to shore and the fish is cooking over the campfire. Maybe there's a little bit of like, man, did you see that game between the Bengals and the Pirates? I mean, a lot of like sports talk or weather talk. I mean, like avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. I don't know. I just wonder. I wonder. What was going on inside of Peter to make him so mercurial in his life, in his interactions with Jesus? Why is he so given to fluctuations in his attitudes and his actions? What makes him so eager to be that disciple who speaks first among all the others? He acts first among all the others. None of the other disciples grabbed their sword. No other disciples lopped off someone's ear. No, it's Peter. It's Peter, predictably. Well, Jesus' diagnosis is found in how he confronts Peter in verses... Uh, 15 through 17 of that last passage we read. And it's kind of hidden in there, but listen to it. Um, look at uh, 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. What does he mean by that? Simon, do you love me more than these? The rest of these disciples... All this other stuff. Do you love me more than all this other stuff? All the people that watch you, that follow your lead, that think you're important. Do you love me more than you love all of these? Peter's lingering pride. Peter, Peter's li lingering need for approval and appreciation. That was the problem that Jesus needed to root out of him before he could move into that next phase into that next role for Peter. These things had to be dealt with. It wasn't about the denial so much. It was about the pride and the need for approval and acceptance. All those things that war against our soul in our life with Christ. He said, this must be dealt with before this reinstatement can be real for you. His lingering pride and his need for approval had to be rooted out. After eating breakfast with the disciples, Jesus pulls Peter aside. He forces the confrontation. He calls him by his old name. Did you notice this? He doesn't say, hey, si hey, Peter. He doesn't say Simon Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. When was the last time he called him Simon, son of John? Do you remember? It's when he first called him. When he first called him to follow him, when he was just a fisherman, when he said, follow me, he said, Simon, son of John, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So he starts again. He says, hey, Simon, son of John. In a way here, Jesus in verse 15 is resetting the scene. He's resetting the scene. It's kind of like uh, if you ever call IT or customer support for a computer problem, what's the first thing they recommend? Eric, you know this. Unplug it and plug it back in. Jesus wants to come to Peter and say, hey, I need to unplug some things. 
and then I need to plug it back in. He needs to reboot something in Peter so that he can use him. He needs to reset the scene. He needs to reboot something in Peter. A lot had transpired in the past few days. Imagine how tumultuous uh, those days had been from Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, his being laid in the tomb, and even from his resurrection. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of stuff to process, a lot of stuff to, to really struggle with. Jesus took Peter back to the beginning. Jesus took Peter back and reset the relationship, and he called him once again to be his disciple. In a way, Jesus is calling him again to belong to him, to be his disciple, to follow him. Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes. I mean, it almost gets awkward feeling, doesn't it? But Jesus knows there's an intensive work that has to be done. It's not that Jesus didn't believe Peter. He needs to, through repetition, asking three times to break down these things in Peter, to reset the system, to reset the stage, to reboot him and say, let's start afresh. Let's start new, Peter, right now. Will you follow me again? Yes, you love me? Okay, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Shepherd the church. He calls him again to follow him. He calls him again to be his disciple. Now, Peter had easily come to see himself in comparison, in comparison with the other disciples. I mean, there's always this competitive spirit. And, and he's not the only one. The disciple that Jesus loved, uh, who was John, right? Oftentimes, John writes about himself as the disciple Jesus loved as being a faster runner. Like when they ran to the tombs, like uh, the disciple Jesus loved uh, outran Peter. <laughs> so there's a little bit of healthy competition, maybe unhealthy competition here. But we know that Peter had it in him to boast. He had it in him to, to compare himself to the other disciples. He, he, it was in him to value his role and his responsibilities, his accomplishments, his regard, and his rank but these things need to be, needed to be put in their proper place and in some, way, some circumstances done away with, cleared away. Although Peter was given to boasting, although he was given to racing ahead of the others, when confronted by Jesus, he is humbled. He's humbled. Why? He's humbled because of his betrayal. The memory of his betrayal has humbled him. He's humbled by his betrayal and he's been broken by his denial. If you read about all the interactions Peter has with Jesus, and then you read this one, you sense a, 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 something's different here. This isn't the same Peter. Something's changed in him, and I think that something had been humbled and broken in him because of his denial and his betrayal. So Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? And here, Peter is given a perfect opportunity to say, oh yeah, these yahoos? Totally totally love you more than these guys. I'm the only one who swam to shore. I'm the only one that swam from the boat to see you. I was that excited. These guys, they didn't care. They cared more about the fish. No, and Peter had a great opportunity, low-hanging fruit for boasting, for bragging, for setting himself above and beyond the other disciples. But what does he do? Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And given the chance to boast, Peter does not. He doesn't boast. He doesn't boast. He can't because his feelings of shame. 
He feels out of place. He doesn't feel like he's that old, old uh, apostle Peter anymore. When Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? He's like, you know I love you. That's all I can say. You know that I love you. The InterVarsity uh, Press New Testament commentary says it this way. Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He does not claim to love Jesus more than the others do, which suggests he has benefited from having reflected on his shameful denials of the Lord. This response is typical of true discipleship, for it is humble in for it is humble and focuses on the Lord's own knowledge. Peter was not boastful when Jesus gave him the opportunity to be. But by the third time Jesus asks whether he loves him, Peter is hurt. That is, deeply grieved. Jesus, asking three times, recalls the three denials. And Peter's pride is cut to the quick. Here we see the great physician performing painful but necessary surgery. The light is shining in the darkness of Peter's heart, bringing life. Peter is dying to self and finding his confidence only in the Lord. It is the Lord who knows. Despite the appearances, Peter does love Jesus. So get this. It's often pride and insecurity that fuels our mercurial fluctuations. Pride and insecurity. That's the fuel that fires that mercurial fluctuations in us and our actions and our attitudes. It's that which compels us to throw elbows, to elbow past others, and to make these boastful claims. This can, like Peter, lead us into embarrassing failures. It can lead us into shameful denials, which make us feel like uh, we no longer belong with Jesus. We no longer belong with him, and we can no longer be loved by him or accepted by him. Think of all the things happening in Peter. What is all the things that have happened in you that have convinced you at times that you no longer can follow Jesus, that he can no longer possibly love you? But here we find encouragement, guys. Be encouraged by Peter's encounter with Jesus. We are never too far gone. We are never too far gone to be pulled aside by Jesus and to be restored by his grace and reinstated into our calling, reinstated in that calling which he placed in your life in the beginning. The commentary goes on to say the key qualification for being a disciple is what? A love for Jesus that is characterized by humility, dependence, and obedience. Peter already had a devotion to Jesus, but he was still full of self-will and was, was thrusting himself to the front. Such a proud attitude of heart would spell disaster for the community, as had already been evident in Israel's history right up to the opponents who had uh, just had Jesus crucified and had, as had sadly been just as evident in the history of the church. But Peter himself learned his lesson as is clear from his first letter. So his first letter, here in just a few weeks, we're gonna turn our attention, we're gonna be pivoting toward Peter's first letter that we find in the New Testament. But I, I firmly believe this, it is time well spent for us to, to walk with Peter, to observe Peter and to see his interactions with Jesus before and after the crucifixion. I think that's time well spent. Uh, because in him we get to see something of ourselves, but we also get to observe something of what it's like to be in relationship with the risen Christ. Because yes, 
Uh, particular things happen between Peter and Jesus, but they're not unique. This is what Jesus does. Over and over again, he comes to us. He calls us to himself. He challenges us. He forgives us and he reinstates us if we are willing. If we're willing to, to receive that, to participate in that. Here we can see how a very human person like Peter interacted with the very loving Savior all through his successes and his failures. There's much to be learned here. Peter's life with Jesus, it gives us insight and it gives us hope in our own walk with him. Even when we boast, even when we say the wrong things, even when we lash out and we act impulsively, we find Jesus still comes to us in love. He still comes to us in love and he still is willing to call us back to himself. Jesus comes to us, he restores us, he reestablishes us in his mission in the world and he sends us out to step into, to play our role in our God-given place as the church. That's amazing, guys, that Jesus would love us enough, uh, trust us enough to give us a second chance, to use us again. So what he did with Peter is not unique. It's available to all of us. But what Peter had to be willing to do is the same thing we must be willing to do as well. But Jesus will come to us. He will restore us, reestablish us in his mission, and send us out as well. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. So if Jesus pulled you aside today, what questions would he ask you? What would he say to you? Maybe you've been avoided. And I think I need to say this real quick. Some of you keep coming to church because you don't want to make God mad. But you really don't want to have an encounter with Jesus because you feel like he probably ticked him off. And you're nervous about that encounter that might take place. So you just kind of look busy. You kind of do other stuff to kind of avoid eye contact with Jesus. But what if through the Holy Spirit you were pulled aside today and Jesus looked you straight in the eye and said, Do you love me? Do you love me? What pride needs to be done away with? What insecurity needs to be done away with? What need for approval and acceptance might Jesus need to root out in your life? If Jesus were to come to you today through his Holy Spirit and unplug something in your life and then plug it back in to reset, to reboot and reestablish something, what would that be? He's available and he's willing. And I pray that we would be receptive and responsive to that. Let's pray. Father, I, I trust that as we look to your word, yes, we read stories. We find hope and encouragement. But God, I, I pray that beyond all that, I pray that we would see something very true about you and about your heart for your people. God, like Peter, there's been a lot of stuff in our life with you. There's been a lot of uh, times of excitement, but there's also been a lot of times of uh, frustration, of doubt, of fear, and of just flat-out denial. Lord, and if you, can, uh, if you can know that Peter is going to let you down so badly, yet your plans still involve him, 
for you to seek him out, pull him aside, and, and reinstate him, to do a healing work in him, a reboot of sorts, to reestablish him. God, if you can do that with Peter, I think you can do that with any of us. We've all been commissioned. We've all been called. If we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we've all been sent out to be a part of what God's doing in the world, to be a part of the, the church and its mission. But God, just like you had to get past some stuff, some pretty deep, dark, and painful stuff in Peter, you've got to get past some deep, dark, and painful stuff in some people here today. Lord, we all are up and down. We're all pretty mercurial for sure. But you seem to... <laughs> You seem to be okay with that. You seem to be able to see that and say, hey, I can work with that. I can do some good works here with this person. And so, God, I pray that you would today. God, I pray that you would stand with us. I pray that you would speak the words that we need to hear, speak to that deepest, most unguarded place of all in us. Point out the things that need to be set aside, our pride, our need for approval, our fears and our doubts, all those things that keep us from you, all those things that we oftentimes keep clutching to and, and holding on to that keep us from walking and following you. I pray that you would point those out and help us clear those things away. Because what we want most, God, is to be with Jesus. We want to tell him that we love him. We want to know that he, uh, his heart is still inclined toward us and that he can still use us. And so, God, I pray that you'd do that, that surgery that needs to happen in our souls today. May we hear Jesus ask if we love him. And may every part of our being respond, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You know that we love you. And then whatever it means for us to go and to feed his sheep, to care for his sheep, I, I pray that we'd be obedient, that we'd be motivated to follow and to obey. Oh man, we lift this prayer to you, Jesus. Do a work today, we ask. Here we're going to sit for a moment or two. This is a chance to interact with the Lord. This is a time for prayer. I pointed out some things and maybe, maybe you heard some of it. Maybe you uh, identified some things. Maybe the ways you've been avoiding eye contact with Jesus for a while. But what if he wanted to come to you and... and reestablish some things or reset some things. Guys, it can happen. The Bible promises us. Jesus himself says, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's in our midst. The Holy Spirit is at work here doing transformation, doing reestablishment, healing, forgiving. Ours is to show up with faith, in humility, with a heart set on obedience. So we're going to just uh, take a minute or two, make the most of this opportunity. <laughs>